dyed her wedding dress black. She was a missionary, along with her husband, Raymond Edmonds. And one night, her husband came staggering in from the jungles of Ecuador. He was very ill, and they hurriedly took him to see a doctor. And the doctor said that he will be dead by morning. In those days, about 60 years ago, when someone died in the tropics, you had to bury them quickly. And so this wife, in preparation of a funeral, took her wedding dress and dyed it black. However, thousands of miles away in Boston, Edmund's friend, Dr. Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting. And here's what he said. I feel we must pray for Ray Edmund in Ecuador. And the group began to pray earnestly until finally Evans called out, Praise the Lord! The victory is won. The rest is oft-repeated history. Raymond Edmund recovered. His wife's dress did not. And Dr. Edmund became the president of Wheaton College and presided in that role for 40 years. There is power in prayer. Power in prayer. And I want to talk to you about that this morning as we continue our study through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. As I was thinking about this passage and thinking about grand opening celebration, I thought there is no more fitting passage, even though it's next in the series of what we're preaching through, there's no more fitting passage for us to focus on than the passage we're going to read together this morning. And so keeping that in mind, if you're able to stand with me, if you're physically able to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, for this privilege of, again, corporate worship. Lord, it's been so good to just just come together and proclaim your greatness. To worship you in your majesty and in the splendor of your holiness. And now we come to your word expectant. Lord, waiting for you to speak to us. Lord, as I read this morning in my own Bible reading time, I was reminded in 1 Corinthians 2. That spiritual things can only be understood by the work of the Spirit in our life. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would sweep across this room. And that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That we might grasp what we're studying. And we might have the strength and the wisdom to apply what we learn. All for the glory and the fame of Jesus. 
Lord, I ask you today to establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as we've journeyed through the book of Colossians, we've seen Paul deal with a host of issues. The beginning of the book and toward the middle of the book, Paul lifts up the mighty name of Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done for us and what it means to know him as Lord and Savior, what it means to be united with him uh, in a relationship. And in chapter 3, Paul begins to just unpack all the different areas in our life that Jesus makes a difference in. And we talked about purity and relationships and marriage and family and society. And we said that when you know Jesus, he makes a difference in, in all of those different areas. Now here in chapter 4, Paul is closing down his letter to the church in Colossae. And as he closes down this letter, he wants to leave them with some very important truths, and he wants to give them some very important commandments that they were to obey. And one of those commandments is found there in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So this text is a text about prayer. It is a call for you and I to be people who are devoted to prayer. And so I want to give you three characteristics that should be true of all of our lives when it comes to prayer. Three characteristics that ought to be true of all of our lives when it comes to prayer. Number one, our prayer lives should be characterized by devoted prayer. Devoted prayer. Look at that word there in verse 2. Continue steadfastly. Your translation may say, devote yourself to prayer. This, this word that's translated, continue steadfastly, means to continue to do something, listen, with intense effort. So he says, continue to pray with intense effort. Question, if someone were to examine your prayer life, would they say that you pray with intensity. Would they say that intense effort characterizes your prayer life? And as I studied this passage, I had to think about my own prayer life and think, could I call my prayer life intense? That's what he says here. Continue steadfastly. Continue to pray with intense effort. Now, this verb here is a present imperative verb. The present tense means this is to be continual action. Prayer is to be a continual part of our lives. And the imperative mood means that this verb is a command. This is not optional. This is not for like some super spiritual level of Christian. This is for everybody. You know, we use the term prayer warrior. Such and such is a prayer warrior. As if some are prayer warriors and some are not. But this verse indicates that all of all of Christ's followers should be prayer warriors. How about that? Continue steadfastly, imperative. It is a command. It's not optional. We are commanded to pray with intensity. We are commanded to devote ourselves to prayer. This word speaks of perseverance in prayer, and it speaks of tenacity in prayer. Praying and keep on praying tenacity in prayer. So here's what we need to understand. You and I are commanded to devote ourselves to pray consistently. We're called to devote ourselves to pray consistently. Prayer should be a consistent 
part of our life. Now, as we think about that, I want to give you some practical things to think about. I want to give you two motivations for devoted prayer. Some things that ought to motivate you and spur, spur you on, and things ought to motivate me and spur me on to pray with intensity. And then I want to give you some, some practices. I want you to think about the, the, the practice of prayer, what the practice of prayer looks like in your day-to-day life. First of all, let me share with you two motivations for devoted prayer. I want you to say a quick word about the privilege of prayer. Did you know that prayer is a an astounding privilege. An astounding privilege. Look what he says there in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. The word prayer there is prosuke. It's a word that encompasses every type of prayer. And you know there are different types of prayer. There's praise and thanksgiving. There is uh, intercessory prayer where you're praying for someone else. There's supplication where you're asking God to meet needs in your own life. There are prayers of repentance where you are getting your heart right before God. Uh, there are all types of, of prayer. And this word, prosuke, covers all of that. Most often in the Bible, this word in context is applied to petitionary prayer. When you're asking God for things on behalf of yourself or on behalf of others. It, it covers requests made to God in prayer. And is it amazing that you and I can make requests of the Lord God of the universe? Think about what a privilege that is. The essence of prayer, listen, is that we have been given the gift of communication and communion with God. Prayer at its essence is talking to God, right? Talking to God, spending time in His presence, enjoying our relationship with Him. And all of that, all of that is a tremendous privilege. This past week I was reading in my own Bible reading time, Matthew chapter 27. And I read again the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I was reminded that that when Jesus died on the cross, when He breathed His last, the veil in the temple was torn in two. And not only was the veil in the temple torn in two, it was torn from top to bottom. In other words, God tore the veil. Now the veil in the temple was that large curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only one person a year could go into the holy of holies, the high priest of Israel. He would go to sprinkle blood on the Ark, the mercy seat, uh, to make atonement for the sins of Israel. It was a reminder to all of Israel that they were sinners and they needed a Savior and the innocent would have to die for the guilty, which all pictured Jesus Christ. But think about what it meant when the veil was torn in two. God was saying, because Jesus Christ has died, your sins can be washed away. That barrier of impurity that kept you far from God, separate from God, will be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And because that sin is gone, now you can come into his presence with, with boldness and confidence that you will be heard. What a privilege that we get to go into the very presence of God. Now because of Jesus, because Jesus has saved me and forgiven me of my sins, my car, my truck can be my holy of holies. Amen? My dining room table can be my holy of holies. My my desk at work 
can be my holy of holies. My prayer closet can be my holy of holies. Because of Jesus, I can go into the presence of Almighty God anytime I want to, listen, and stay as long as I want to. What a privilege. What a privilege. Prayer, talking to God, communion with God. The privilege of prayer. If you need to be motivated to pray, just think about the gift that God has offered you that you get to spend time with your Creator, spend time with your Redeemer in communication, in communion. I love this quote from Paul Miller in his excellent book on prayer, The Praying Life. He writes, Regardless of how or when you pray, if you give God the space, He will touch your soul. Man, I like that. Regardless of how or when you pray, if you give God that space in your life, He will touch your soul. The privilege of prayer. But let me give you another motivation for devoted prayer. Not only the privilege of prayer, but the potential of prayer. The potential of prayer. Here it is, you ready? God answers prayer. Now we know that. We've heard that. We've taught that. We've learned that God answers prayer. We know that's the right answer to give in our connect group, right? But do we really believe it? God answers prayer. Do we really believe that? Because if we really believed it, I bet it would change the way that you and I pray. The potential of prayer. God answers prayer. I love this quote from Richard Trent. He was a 19th century archbishop in Dublin, Ireland. And he said this, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. God loves to answer prayer. He loves to move in response to the prayers of His people. Because when He moves in response to the prayers of His people, we see His glory. Prayer is, a, is a, an indicator of our dependence. When we pray, we're saying, God, we need you. And God loves to move in the lives and through the lives of dependent people. He stays far from the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what's more humble than getting on your knees and saying, God, I need you. So when we pray, We're not trying to overcome his reluctance. We are laying hold of his willingness. God wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in our church. He wants to move in our community. He wants to move in our nation. He wants to move in our world. And he calls us to pray. And prayer is an incredible, powerful reality. You see, prayer changes things. And, listen, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. I believe God loves it when we pray because when he gets us in his presence, something happens, doesn't it? We begin to change. Prayer changes us. And so you say, wait, I'm not motivated to pray. I I struggle with my prayer life. I I struggle with consistency. I struggle with intensity. I I struggle just to to pray in my day-to-day life. Listen, remember that your prayers change things. 
God is sovereign, but God works through means. And one of those means he uses is the prayers of his people. Read the Bible. He responds to prayer. And prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. The potential of prayer. So there's some motivation, some things to stir up your heart to pray in a devoted way. But let me just say a quick word about the practice of devoted prayer. The practice of devoted prayer. There there are two types of prayer that I see throughout the pages of Scripture. One is what I'll call consecrated prayer. By the word consecrated, I mean set apart. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6? He said, "Don't, don't be like the Pharisees. They love to pray in a very showy way in public. They love to be heard. They love to be seen. And they were very eloquent in their speech and their theological terminology. And others would stand in awe and say, oh, if I could just pray like the Pharisees. But see, some of you today are intimidated by prayer because you grew up in a church where only a select few folks prayed. And they could really pray. I mean, they could, they could pray in King James English, amen? They could use beseeches and thous and these. And at an early age, you, th- you thought, I could never pray like that. But listen to me. Prayer was never meant to be showy. Jesus said, those Pharisees that are making a big show uh, out of calling on my name, they already have their reward. And then Jesus says, but when you pray, Go into the inner room. Shut the door behind you. Leave your iPhone in another room. He doesn't say that, but I'm just adding that in. But get alone. Get alone. Get in a private place. And then he says, listen, your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's consecrated prayer. That's when you get alone with God, you get on your knees, it's just you and the Lord, and you can talk to Him about what's on your heart. You can be honest with Him, transparent with Him, deal with the sin in your life, ask Him to meet needs in your life, pray for other people, worship His great name, thank you for all that He's done. That's consecrated prayer. And I submit to you that we all need to practice that, because Jesus told us to. That, that alone time, that on-your-knees time, so if you don't pray in that way, I want to encourage you to find a place, say, this is going to be my place where I meet with God, and I'm going to make it, I'm going to be private, I'm going to, it's going to be a private place, no distractions, I want to be real and honest before God, I want to just, I want to pray, I want to get on my knees, I want to, if I'm physically able, I want to get on my knees and I, I want to pray. And here's what will happen, if you find that place and you go to that place with consistency, that place will become holy ground. Holy ground. That's consecrated prayer. Do you do it? When's the last time you were on your knees before the Lord? Say, wait, it's been a while. Do it this week. Tomorrow, get on your knees before God. Get alone. See what a difference it makes. But not only do we see consecrated prayer in the pages of Scripture, we see continuous prayer taught in the pages of Scripture. You remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Paul said, pray without ceasing. 
Literally, pray continually. Now, this does not mean that you walk around all the time mouthing prayers. Because that's not, that's not feasible. We have jobs and responsibilities and things we have to do. We can't walk around constantly mouthing words on our lips. But it means that you maintain an attitude of dependence upon God. And you are frequently going to Him throughout your day. Calling on His name. Asking Him for His help. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, I never pray for more than five minutes at a time. Then he said, but I never go more than five minutes without praying. Continuous prayer. Praying without ceasing. Between meetings. Before an important phone call or a difficult phone call. Before you send that email that you're dealing with something you're angry about. Before you come to church, on your way to church. Continuous prayer. Just dependent upon God all throughout the day. The middle aged, or the monk from the middle ages, Brother Lawrence, wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Listen to what he said about praying through the mundane tasks of life. He wrote, the time of uh, busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. He says, full devotion to prayer is possible in a busy life. And we need to hear that, don't we? Because we're busy. Folks are busier than they have ever been. Life is more complicated and complex than it's ever been. Life is more fast-paced than it's ever been. And we need to hear together this morning that prayer is possible for busy people. But you've got to pray continually. You've got to maintain that attitude of dependence throughout the day. The practice of devoted prayer. So here, here's what I want to call you to this week. I want you to spend some consecrated on your knees time before the Lord. And I want you to practice talking to God throughout your day. Remembering your need for Him. And maintaining that attitude of dependence all throughout your day. And see what happens. You might call this the prayer challenge. See what happens. When you engage God through this wonderful reality called prayer. And so, Wade, what should our, should our prayer lives be characterized by? Number one, devoted prayer. Number two, watchful prayer. Watchful prayer. Look what Paul writes there in Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, what does it mean to be watchful? That word in the original language, means to be in continuous readiness and alertness. It means to be vigilant. So as we pray, what are you and I to be watchful for? What are we to be on the lookout for? Well, certainly this means we ought to be on the lookout for temptation. Temptation. You remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? He took his disciples in that garden and he, he got alone with his father to pray. He was preparing for his betrayal and his arrest and his beating and his crucifixion. And Jesus went off by himself to pray and he came back. 
And what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And Jesus said, could you not stay awake for one hour? Could you not pray for one hour? And he told them to be on the alert, to be watchful. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew that the enemy was near in that moment. Jesus knew the enemy wanted to sift his disciples and destroy their lives. And so Jesus is saying, as you pray in this moment, you need to be on the alert. And certainly that applies to our lives. As we grow into a a more consistent, devoted prayer life. You need to understand that Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. And that's one of the reasons we pray, to be vigilant. Satan wants to destroy our lives. Temptation, we need to be on the lookout as we pray. Be on the lookout for what Satan may be doing in our life or the, the lives of our loved ones or in the life of our church. Be on the alert. Pray and watch. Pray and watch. You don't fall to his whims and wiles. Secondly, I think this idea of being watchful in prayer speaks of looking out for needs that call for prayer. Needs that call for prayer. You're you're growing in your prayer life. You're, You're consistently praying. Well, guess what? Be on the lookout because if you're on the lookout, you'll see a lot of stuff to pray about. You say, wait, I go to pray and I run out of things to say. You're not being watchful. Look around. There are great physical and spiritual needs everywhere, right? And if you run out of things to pray about, pray for your pastor. I need it. And your staff. And your church. Pray for each other. Be watchful. Be looking for those needs that call for prayer. I like what R. Kent Hughes wrote. He wrote, a habit of prayer demands, listen, mental alertness to the dangers of life, that's temptation, and the needs of those around us. An awareness which can at any moment launch us into fervent prayer. So when you're being watchful, when you see people's needs, that, that, that spurs you on, it launches you in to, to, to desperate, fervent prayer for others. I believe one of the reasons we don't pray more consistently is because we're not on the lookout. So we ought to watch for temptation and watch for needs that call for prayer. But third, I think we ought to watch for God's answers to our prayers. Look look what he says there. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, being watchful in that prayer with thanksgiving. What does he mean? He means that as you pray... And you watch, you'll see God show up. And when you do, what do you do? You say, thank you, you say, thank you God, right? Thanksgiving. As you pray and ask God for things, don't forget to thank Him for what He does. Don't forget to thank Him for His answers to your prayers. Keep alert in it, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. F.F. Bruce writes, the remembrance of former mercies not only produces spontaneous praise and worship, it also is a powerful incentive to renewed believing prayer. If your prayer life has run out of gas, 
Maybe you just need to sit back and think about all the times God's shown up in the past. Amen? And that, that remembrance, that gratitude, that thanksgiving can spur you on to fresh, fervent prayer in the here and now. Keep alert in it with thanksgiving. Don't forget to be grateful when God shows up and when God answers your prayers. Again, the book that I referenced earlier, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, we went through that book as a staff, and it's one of the best, most practical books on prayer, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. In that book, he talks about, he talks about looking for God as you pray, looking for the story that he's writing in the lives of those that you are praying for. And he's very transparent about his struggles with his, with his children as they were growing up and things they went through and difficulties they went through. And, and, he, and he, he, said, he said in his book, he said, I've learned that I do my best parenting by prayer. I see an issue, I see a need, and I write it on an index card and by their name, and I begin to pray and I begin to watch. I'm alert, and I'm looking for the fingerprints of God. And as he shares that book, how God answered all these prayers, it's amazing. Amazing. But you've got to pray and watch. Look for God's fingerprints on your life and the life of those you are praying for. And so our prayer should be characterized by devotion, devoted prayer. It should be characterized by watchful prayer. And third and last, our, our life should be characterized by missional prayer. Missional prayer. Look what Paul writes. In Colossians 4, verse 3. At the same time, while you're praying, at the same time, pray also for us. Paul's saying, let me give you something to pray about. (laughs) Pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am imprisoned, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I want to give you three ways to, or four ways to, four, I want to give you four ways to pray. Four ways to pray for missionaries, listen, including yourself. Because you've been called to make disciples. Right? So pray these things for others, but pray for yourself too. Great way to pray for your life. Alright, number one, pray for open doors. I believe this is an aspect of evangelism training that we miss a lot of times. I'm going to talk more about this in the coming days, more about evangelism. But I believe in our evangelism training, which much of it is very, very good, very, very helpful, very, very practical, gives some handles to hold on to. But often in our evangelism training, we miss this. Paul says, would you pray that God would open to us a door for the Word? That God would give us opportunity to share the word to share the gospel of Jesus Christ I have some friends that are serving in Central Asia and uh, I read an update about them this past week and they're new they're just trying to learn the language but they had some guests in their home a family they invited in their home and they were having tea together and the The man, the father of the family, didn't speak any English. And this was a a Muslim family. And this man saw, sitting on the coffee table, a Bible in his language. They had a a Bible with 
with, with the language that people were speaking. And so he picked it up and kind of began to look at it and read a few lines. And so my friend opened the Bible to John chapter 3 and said, some of my favorite verses are found in this chapter. So listen, this Muslim man opened up a Bible in his own language and began to read out loud to his Muslim family, John chapter 3. This past week, there was a Muslim man that read this to his family. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what that is? That's an open door. God did that. God opened that. That's a response to people praying for my friends that are in Central Asia for the sake of the gospel. And we need to pray for more open doors like that. Divine opportunities that God sets up. I always think about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. The book of Acts, you have Philip who is a, a deacon and all of a sudden he's in this revival and the Spirit of God sweeps him away, literally picks him up and puts him down in the desert. And surely Philip was thinking, Lord, I was just in a revival. Folks were getting saved. Why am I in the desert now? And about that time, here came a chariot riding by. There was a court official from Ethiopia, the Ethiopian eunuch. And he was reading the Old Testament scriptures. He was reading the book of Isaiah, a, a passage that spoke of the Messiah. And he stops and he sees Philip and, and, and he says, I, I'm reading this, but I don't really understand it. Philip said, well, I, under, I know the story. And Philip gets in the chariot with him and leads him to Christ. And that, that Ethiopian eunuch gets saved and baptized on the spot. I love it. But how do you explain that? A eunuch riding by reading about Jesus. At the same moment Philip was placed there in the desert. You explain that as a door opened up by the sovereign hand of God. And, and that's how we need to pray. God, my, my friends that are serving overseas. Serving in different cultures. Serving in, in, in frontier areas in the states. God, would you open doors for them to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, would you open doors in my life. Would you open doors at my school. Would you open doors in my workplace. Would you open doors in my family. So I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for open doors. Number two, pray for gospel clarity. Look what Paul says. Pray for us also that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of, of Christ on, which, uh, on, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear. The mystery of Christ speaks of the gospel. It was a message that was hidden in large part. There were some, some prophecies that were given in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus, but, but people didn't know the, how it all unfolded. But now that mystery has been fully revealed. Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he tells his followers, go and tell folks what has happened. Tell folks I've died for their sins. Tell folks I've defeated death itself. Tell folks they can be saved if they will embrace me as Lord and Savior. We know the rest of the story, right? It's not a mystery anymore. We know the gospel. Paul says, would you pray that I will make it clear when I speak? What a great way to pray for others, for yourself. Lord, give me gospel clarity. Help me to share the, the simple gospel message. Help me to share what Jesus has done for me. 
by personal testimony. So people are not confused, but people see Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb through my speech. Pray for gospel clarity. Number three, pray for gospel urgency. Look in verse four. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. That word ought is the word day in the Greek language. It means necessary. That I may speak forth the word which is necessary. Some, some places translate this word must. This word that I must speak. Gospel urgency. Hey, question. Have you lost your gospel urgency? Have you lost sight of the fact that the gospel is a message you must proclaim, you must speak, you must declare, you must share? Pray that God would give others and pray that God would give you, pray that God would give your pastor, pray that God would give your church a a renewed gospel urgency that he would spur us on to share that good news and message. And one final thing Paul prays for or asks for prayer for. He, He asks for prayer for gospel boldness. Look in verse 4. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now implied in this is, is a need for courage because the very similar passage in Ephesians, he says that. Look at what he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul asked for prayer for boldness. Paul prayed for boldness. If Paul needed boldness, guess what? I do too. How about you? Probably the number number one reason that we don't share the gospel consistently is, is fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of misunderstanding. And we just, we don't share it. Pray for gospel boldness. I love the balanced picture of prayer in this passage. Pray in a devoted way. Go to God with needs on behalf of others and needs that you have in your own life. Pray and and watch. Watchful prayer. Be on the lookout for what God's doing. Don't forget to pray for the expansion of the gospel. That folks would get saved. That God would fling doors wide open. So we can walk through those doors and share the good news about Jesus. Missional prayer. And what a great text for today. I'm excited. Listen, I'm excited about God's provision and expanding this facility. It's beautiful. I love it. More space, which is what it's all about. Amen? But what if, instead of just having an expanded facility, what if, This place and our individual homes became houses of prayer. I'm telling you, things would change dramatically in our community and in our own lives. So let's respond to this call for prayer as a faith family.